0: Everybody, welcome back to Beer and Money. My name is Ryan Burklow. Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to be going over step two and three on the ten steps of creating your own personal financial plan. That was a weird and awkward pause. That you it was weird. Not I couldn't finish the statement there, but. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're starting, if this is the first episode you're listening to us, go back and listen to uh, episode 187, I believe it is. Um, that is where we're discussing what this cre- this creation of a plan entails, as well as what step one is. And it's, you know, go over 10 steps. It's important to start with step one. <laughs> and <laughs> if you're doing this, though, make sure you've downloaded the PDF if you're listening to this in the car, listen to it, but make sure you go back and look at the PDF because it's going to make a lot more sense looking at what we've created and speaking into.
1: Yeah. We fully expect that like this episode and like this entire series, you may want to listen to and then just like to get the information and then go back and re-listen to it with the document in front of you. So if you're listening to this in your car or on a run or during a workout or whatever else, it'll still be good, useful information. And- you're probably going to want to re-listen to it when you've got pen and paper in front of you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, just as a real quick recap, right? The next several episodes are all about creating your own personal financial plan. Alex and I speak to people all the time and they all say, I've been meaning to do that. And there's a whole bunch of reasons as to why. Some of it might be cost. Some of it might be they don't know where to start. Like there's a bunch of reasons there. So what we wanted to do is give a complimentary action plan. And at the end of this 10 step action plan, you literally have your own personal financial plan. Now it's high level, right? There's always little, little things that might need to change over time, but this is a great first financial plan to begin with. Yeah. And because
1: we're doing this without having sat down and talked to anybody, it is going to be that high level overview Like Our advice is not going to be personalized to you. It's a roadmap that you're going to help personalize for yourself. If you want to, we encourage you to sit down with a financial professional, whether that's us or somebody else, to be able to go ahead and tailor that plan even further to your specific situation. And this may be a good place to get started. Work on it for a little bit of time. And when you're ready, go hire a financial professional. So that being said, Alex, what are we drinking today? Uh, today we are drinking Woodpile. It is an IPA. It's from Stoop Brewery, and uh, it clocks in at seven and a half percent with
0: sixty-five IBUs. So it is a much lighter IPA. I've gone to Stoop quite a few times, and they've got several IPAs. This is definitely one of the lighter ones that I've had from them. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's it, it's not quite what I, what I was expecting. Um, With with a name like Woodpile, I was kind of and seven and a half. I was expecting more depth to the to the beer. Um, Light is a good way of describing it. It's it's certainly not bad. It's it's just not what I was expecting. And so there's that momentary like, oh, well this is different.
0: Yeah. So um, you know if I were for bottle cap out of ten for me, I'm probably going to go with a six. I like when I'm drinking IPAs. I, I normally like the the fuller traditional uh, sense of the IPA. This is just a little bit too light for my taste.
1: Yeah, I, I actually like this quite a bit. Normally I like those fuller IPAs, but like this this is really this is a very solid beer. I'm going to give it an eight. Um, and again, if you like lighter IPAs um, and don't mind the alcohol content of a seven and a half, definitely go check this out. This is a great, great version of a light IPA.
0: So let's let's jump in here. So, right, so we went over step one in the last episode, right? Where we talked about what are your financial values, right? And in that episode, we went over how to figure out what your values are, how to have that conversation with your spouse, which is vital. Like I can't say that enough. With your spouse, because I don't know how many times Alex will probably attest to this too. Most of the time, there's one person in the relationship that is the finance person, right? And the other person maybe does a piece of it, but isn't as actively involved. But they are involved from the standpoint of when you're making big financial decisions, you still need to talk with them. And so, if you're building this plan and you're not speaking to them, starting with okay, what is it you value and you don't understand, it's very hard to get off on the right foot.
1: Excuse me. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, a great recap of last week's episode. Uh, today we're going to dive into how do you currently look? Um, and so this is going to be really fairly heavy in terms of like walking through the the actual document itself. Um, but the design of this is really to get a roadmap of like, okay, where are we right now? Because if you're trying to figure out a financial plan, like essentially you're trying to draw yourself a map from some point in time, t- hopefully today, through to the future.
0: And it's impossible to draw a map if you don't know where you're starting. So if you, scroll, if you go down to page page nine in the PDF, this is what we're asking you to fill out. And this is, at least in our experience, when we're working with our clients, we all have so many different logins to the, to the different institutions, right? Like we talk to people all the time where they've got like five and six 401ks at different institutions. And we've even had one client say, yeah, I might have a seventh out there, like, Literally say I might have another retirement plan out there, not even aware of it. It's hard to get everything on one page and to know how you really look and look at it from a thirty thousand foot view look rather than like a digital spreadsheet. I mean,
1: heck, Ryan. I think I've got one client that has something like eight different banking relationships. Yeah. Let's get in let's let's ignore the fact of how ridiculous having eight different banking relationships is. Like you're talking about then Multiplying, like, then how many different other financial institutions are you working with for your mortgage, your uh, various different insurance components, your retirement components, your investment components? Like, you wind up with this just insurmountable amount of information that you're required to try and aggregate. Um, And so, the design of this is to try and create a snapshot where you can look at your entire financial world in one page. And so, like, if we think about this in terms of a house, the, the basic rooms of the house are our assets, which we've broken down here into seven six different categories, and then a seventh being a, a sum of all of those, and then four different types of liabilities, and again, a total of all of those. And if we go ahead and total up our assets and subtract our liabilities, that then gives
0: us our network. So let's, mm-hmm. let's dive into each one of these because we always get a couple questions on this, right? So like starting in the assets category, Alex, we, the, the first box is personal property. This is a subjective number. Like if you were to dump your house upside down, whatever falls out, that's your personal property. This number isn't all that vital. It's more of just understanding what your real net worth is, right? And And it's subjective, right? Like Is your, is your TV worth what you think it is? Like, it's really impossible to know what this number is, but that's what we're talking about when it comes to that personal property number. Don't spend a bunch of time analyzing like, oh, I wonder how much that laptop really is worth. Like that's not the purpose of this. Just high level. If you needed to replace your personal properties, how much money do you think you need? By the way, it's probably a lot higher than you think. Because when we ask clients this, they they give us numbers like $20,000 and nine times out of 10. It's closer to six-figure range.
1: Yeah, I mean, and like you said, don't overthink this category. If you really are uncertain, probably the easiest way to solve this, um, aside from taking a, a, a general guess or estimate, would be to take a video of all of your stuff and send it to your home and auto agents. Just say, hey, how much would it cost to replace all of this stuff and am I covered for it? So, Absolutely, like that would be a good way of making sure that you're properly covered, um, and that's one of the reasons why we go through this is to make sure that like you're properly covered and make sure that like anything that you care about, anything that you
0: value, gets built into your plan. So then the next box is savings, right? This is your checking savings account. Add up all of those different style of accounts. That's what that box is, and anything that is a banking institution, so
1: checking, savings, money market, CDs anything of that nature.
0: And then we have the investment box. This is a box I think a lot of people get confused by because they, when they hear the word investments, oftentimes like right away, they go to retirement plans. So they're thinking like IRAs, 401ks, Roth IRAs. That's not this box. The investment box is money you've invested. That is not in a retirement style of an account.
1: Yeah, Other examples that are non-stock market-based or bond market-based investments would be like art, coin collections, baseball cards, um, if you still have Beanie Babies or like any other collectible. Um, Over the weekend, I saw a a reference to like the great Beanie Baby crash of like the late 90s or whatever, which made me think of that. But uh, like anything that you have that holds value um, that you think of as an investment Like an investment is something that you can liquidate without it affecting your lifestyle.
0: Yep. And then you've got the retirement box. This is the box for your four hundred one k's, your retirement accounts, right? So add up all of the numbers, all of the different accounts, and that goes there. Real estate, if you so you know whatever real estate you have, whatever what could you sell it for now?
1: Yep. Right. Primary residence. uh, If you own a piece of property that has nothing on it, if you own a rental property. All of that goes into the uh, real estate uh, component. Now, for some people, we actually throw like rentals and things of that nature into the next category, which is business. And again, that just helps us separate and figure out like, okay, this is your personal residence versus this is more of an investment type structure. Um, if you own a piece of your the company that you work for, whether that's through an employee stock purchase plan or, um, an ESOP or um, like you're one of the owners or a partner in the firm that you own, um, then that would go into a business. And typically what we're looking for here isn't things like, oh yeah, I'm part of my uh, I'm part of the Microsoft for uh, employee stock purchase plan. That would go under investments, not ownership of a business because it has a, a readily liquidable, Component. What we're looking for with the business is anything that isn't super easy to liquidate. Like, there's not a mark. Like for you and for you and you and I, for example, like I can't just go sell my part of Quantified Financial Partners to a random person on the street tomorrow. Like right. There's, that can't happen. A. I have to get, happen. I have, <laughs> I have to get your blessing on it. B. Some random person on the street is not going to want to buy. Half of half of our business, and so it's trying to figure out like, okay, what are the details behind that? Um, so there could be like an employee stock purchase plan or an employee stock option plan or things of that nature, where it's not public, and that would fall under this business category.
0: Yep. So, or if you own an actual brick and mortar business, right? Whatever you could sell it for, that's what's going in that category. Now, if you added up those boxes, now you put that in the total. You actually now you know what your total assets are worth, right? Which that in and of itself is an accomplishment because so many people actually don't know what are they actually, what are they worth from an asset standpoint?
1: Well, and like One of the tricks that, that you and I use when we go through this with clients is if we're not sure what the value is in the ones digit column of these numbers, we put a one. And the only thing that that does is it signifies to us like, okay, hey, we need to come back and like, figure out more detail around personal property or retirement or whatever else. And it allows you to put a number there and move on so that you don't get fixated and like stuck on something. Put an estimate and put a one there so that you know that you need to come back to it later.
0: Yep. So then getting to the liabilities, right? So, short term, right? Our definition of short term, right? This is your credit cards, this is your car loans, right? These are your short-term, this is student loans, even though sh- student loans can, I get that they can be 20 and 30 years, so that's more of a long-term type of loan, but the short-term, the student loans would fall under, and in, in this specific um, balance sheet that we're building out here, we're going to put that under short-term liabilities.
1: At the, the next category is taxes. We're not looking at what your annual income taxes are. We're looking at, like what number, if you liquidated all your investments or you liquidate, liquidated your retirement accounts, how much taxes do you, are you going to owe on that? So for example, if you've got everything in a qualified retirement plan, you've got $500,000 in there and your income already puts you in the top tax bracket, like, okay, take whatever the balance is and multiply by the top tax bracket and that's how much goes in the tax number. The, the goal here is to get a rough estimate of like, okay, hey if we had to liquidate everything, what's the net number that we wind
0: up with? Yep. And then we've got mortgages, right? So all the real estate that you own, any any debt that you own in those mortgages, this includes home equity line of credits. This is where you would put that total debt. The same thing is true for the business debt. Any debt you have on the business, this is what goes in that debt, the business debt category. So then at the end of this, this, asset this category liabilities you total all up so now you have t- your total debt and then below this you can see the net worth right so if you subtract your total assets would subtract your liabilities from your total assets alex is nodding at me for those of you who are, aren't seeing here <laughs> equals your net worth so for example if your assets is worth a million and your liabilities are at five hundred thousand. Subtract the 500000 from the million. Your net worth is $500,000. Congratulations. You now know your net worth, which i it's amazing how many people don't know. Like we will ask that question all the time and most people can guess, but they don't actually know. Yeah. Then we get into the cash flow. This is the green part on the, the balance sheet here that you're looking at here on page nine this is the wheels on your car right this cash flow the the money coming in the door that's how you're building assets that's how you're paying down your debts right which and look what, what's into not, your net worth
1: let's not mix metaphors if we're going to talk about assets liabilities and net worth being the rooms of the house the cash flow that's your the foundation sure like this is what allows you to build on top of and that's where your net worth is increased the only way your net worth is increased is with cash flow um yes, some of the investments could wind up with positive return, but if you have negative cash flow, it's going to drain it all away. So cash flow is the foundation of your financial plan.
0: So to fill out this this cash flow section, you can see you've got gross income. So what is it that you, client one, and your partner or your spouse, client two, what is it you make per year pre-tax? The next category is protection. So this is your auto, home insurance, life insurance, disability insurance. Add up how much you spend per year on those insurance coverages and put that number there. The assets category in the cash flow section here. This is savings. This is total amount of savings that you have. So if you're saving ten thousand dollars into your retirement account, or I'm using simplistic numbers, let's say you'd save ten percent of your hundred thousand dollar income into your retirement accounts, that's still $10,000, right? So it's $10,000 there. If you're putting another $5,000 into savings, so now we're up to $15,000. If you're putting another $5,000 into investments, now we're up to $20,000. Total savings is what the assets category is. That's what you put there. And one of the things that people mess up with here is,
1: oh yeah, I put $5,000 into my savings account. I'm going to use it to go on a vacation. Got it. That's not savings you're not building that 5K in your savings account. You're deferring the the payment of a vacation. So like we're looking for year over year, how much does your account grow simply based on your contributions? Now, up until really recently with a savings account, it was really just how much you were putting into it because the banks were offering roughly 0.0 nothing uh, in terms of a, a rate of return. We're now actually seeing positive rates of return so we can... That's not necessarily the same answer today as it was a year or two ago. But anything that you're setting aside with the intent of spending it in the short term does not counter qualify as savings.
0: Which then takes us to the liability section in the cash flow. This is your monthly debt, right? Or, and then we would want you to annualize it. But let's just say you're putting $300 a month towards your car payment. You're paying $500 a month towards your credit card debt right and you're paying $3000 a month for your uh mortgage right add all those numbers up times it by 12 put that number in your liabilities section here in the cash flow and then we've got our net income right and to figure out this is actually really simple take the gross income number that you put in for you and your spouse or partner and then start subtracting out all of the numbers that we just put in there and this
1: net number is really what's left over for you to live on and enjoy life. Um, so, this is a number that should want like you should be able to look at this and go, "Oh, yep." Like whatever that net income is, yep, that's rough, like divide that by twelve, and that's roughly what you're spending on an annual basis. Or mm-hmm. you know, divide it, uh, divide it by twelve, and then like, take your monthly expenses. Multiply those by 12 and add in any annual or one-time expenses, and you should get the same number. Um, so it, it's really designed to be a zero-sum number. Um, what we can tell you is that most Americans read this from right to left. How much can I spend on lifestyle? Hey, I've got some liabilities that I have to pay. I've been told I should spend like save some and, and put some dollars into assets yeah, we've got this insurance stuff that I know we need, but I don't like it and I don't want to do anything with it. How much do I make again? Whereas this really should be and is designed to be read from left to right. Start with how much you make, protect what you've got, save save as much as you can or as much as you want. Then what do you have to pay? And lastly, what's left over for lifestyle?
0: And so Alex brought up the protection, right? So if you jump up now to the, the yellow section labeled protection, when we're going through those boxes, right? Box number one, property and casualty insurance. Property and casualty insurance, what that means is your home and auto insurance or umbrella policies, right? What are your limits of liability? That's the specific number we're looking for, right? So when you go to your home insurance declaration page, it might say liability $500,000, or maybe it says $1 million. We want you to look at what is the highest number of limited liability that you have. Essentially, what we're looking at here is heaven forbid you're sued. This is what
1: protects you. And like the other day, I had a client go, okay, Alex, who's going to sue me? And the answer is it really depends. Like, again, a week or so ago, I had a client call me out of the blue going, hey, I know that you suggested that we talk to somebody about doing an umbrella policy or an extra liability. Like, I know we did it, but I don't remember who that is. Who did you, like, help me find that person? Okay, got it. No problem. Why? What's going on? Well, the dog got out and bit a runner. Ah, okay, got it. I see why you're now looking for this. Let's get you in touch with the right person. Here are some of the people that we would have referred you to. uh, Okay, this is the person that we did refer you to. Let's make sure that you reach out to them and have a conversation so that you don't have to worry about, like, what's going on. Um, but this is really like what happens if you get in a car accident. What, like we had another client who had a deck collapse with a bunch of people on it. Like might some of those people have injuries and then turn around and sue you as the homeowner? Yeah, it's certainly possible. Like we know of a situation where you now somebody had a birthday party and a child died in a pool. and That wound up being a seven-figure settlement. So like this is designed to protect you against the the potential what-ifs.
0: So if you have an umbrella policy, that's really the number we're really looking for. If you don't know what umbrella policy is, chances are you probably don't have one. So look at your limits of liability on your policies and put the highest number in that property and casualty insurance section. Health and disability insurance. This is more for the disability insurance. With health insurance, because of the Affordable Care Act, that solved a lot of the, the, the issues in terms of uh, making sure that you had adequate protection on the medical side. With disability insurance, and we're specifically, we're talking about long-term disability insurance. How much of your income is protected? So normally it's a percentage, especially if you have what well, if you have it through work, right? And normally they might cover like 60% of your salary, for example. So reach out to your employer and ask them, okay, what is my long-term disability plan through work? And if it's 60%, right? So if you're making $100,000 a year and you have 60% coverage, what that means is you have $60,000 a year of benefit, divide that by 12, it's a $5,000 monthly benefit that you have. That's the number that we're looking to put in that health and disability insurance section. And what is the cup you get per month? Yeah. There's a couple of
1: caveats that go with this. Like When you reach out and talk to your employer, ask if there's a cap. Like Oftentimes- as Ryan said, it'll be a percentage—sixty percent, fifty percent, something like that—but it might only be up to a certain dollar amount: eight thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, whatever the number is. Like, figure out okay. So, if my cap is ten grand, and I'm making two hundred and fifty, well, two hundred and fifty times sixty percent, we've got hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of potential income there. But if we're capped at ten thousand dollars that's 120. So what that tells us is that there's a $30,000 gap right there between the 60% that you think you're covered for and the $120,000 that you're actually covered for. So in that example, you're actually you've got a little bit less than 50% income replacement. The other caveat is we need to figure out okay, are you paying for this or is your employer paying for it? Because that is a huge impact on how you receive your benefit if you're paying for it, then the, the benefit comes to you income tax-free. If your employer is paying for it, then the benefit comes to you taxable. Now, if your employer is paying for it, awesome. And you might be able to go ahead and pay the taxes on whatever the premium
0: that your employer is paying. And so that then turns it into a
1: tax-free benefit for you.
0: Yeah. So for right now, just get what it is you have covered. What's the benefit amount and put that in that section. Legal documents. This is what we're talking about here is your estate planning documents. Do you have a will? Do you have a trust? Do you have power of attorney? Do you have health directives, right? Do you have these set up? And that's really a yes or a no. And it's a yes. When was it last reviewed? Correct. And then the last one is life insurance. What do we have in terms of life insurance in, in place for both of you? That's through your employer, possibly through a possibly group life insurance type plan And what do you have that you personally own, right? So if you have $500,000, you know, a lot of employers, they cover like two times or three times your salary, right? So if you make it a hundred thousand dollars a year and they cover three times your salary, let's just say you have $300,000 of coverage through work. Then you have, I don't know, a million dollars personal, um, personal uh, life insurance policy. So you add those two together. So you have $1.3 million dollars for benefit for yourself. So when you're looking at the death benefit, client one and client two, client one would be one of you, client two would be the other person, just so we're 100% clear on that, and put the total benefit that you have on each other listed there.
1: And this doesn't matter like what type of insurance it is. We're just purely looking at the death benefit when we look at the protection component. Um, If you do have more permanent insurance that builds up cash value, Um, That's going to show up in the assets component. It's also going to show up in the cash flow uh, under how much dollars are being saved um, in the asset, the cash flow assets category.
0: So now you should have this entire balance sheet filled out. You should have your entire, pretty much your entire financial world sitting on one page from a thirty thousand foot view. Look, like this is an accomplishment from the standpoint of getting this filled out because. When's the last time you looked at your entire financial world on one page? This page will be an important page as we move forward in developing your personal financial plans. So you might want to earmark this page or kind of set it aside uh, to reference back uh, as we're moving along. So that was step two, right? That was a long winded step two, but we want to make sure you guys understood what each box represent because we normally get some questions on what the boxes represent. The the step number three in the last part of today's episode is we're going to be talking about your, how you set up in terms of expenses, right? And so what are your monthly expenses? And so what we'd have you do is sit down with your spouse and look at, okay, what is it you spend per month? This is not, I, I want to be clear about this. This is not a budgeting exercise. This is for you to sit down and look at, okay, what is it you're spending per month? So a lot of times we're putting all of our stuff on credit cards, so it might be really easy for you to pull up your credit card statement and say, okay, on average, I've been spending x amount of dollars per month. right? And if you have a mortgage, that's probably not going on the credit card. Not of fact, it can't go on your credit card. So let's look at what is the monthly mortgage. So sit down, look at where your money's going and on average, What do those monthly expenses look like? That's what step number three is. That's a simple one. Might be the hardest one too, because this is where we get a lot of, well, Ryan, some months I had to, you know, I make the joke. It's not even a joke. It was real. I just spent $1,500 and put tires in my car last month. I didn't expect that. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about on average, what do you spend? Yeah, and that's-
1: if the, the one-time expenses, like I've got one client who like they're like, oh, yeah, my monthly expenses are like five grand. Okay, cool. How, how about the annual expenses? Well, it seems like every month I've got another three grand to five grand worth of payments. Okay, got it. Is it typically closer to three or typically closer to five? And is it every month or every other month or how often does it occur? And like it's easy to start building this stuff in And it's way more important to overestimate than underestimate. Because if you overestimate, you're going to wind up with money left over at the end. If you underestimate, you're going to have some months where you're looking at it going, "Uh, how do I make ends meet on this? And unless you have a good, healthy reserve, it's going to cause some problems.
0: This is a key number to, to use throughout this planning process do not underestimate that number like i'd rather if the number is 5 grand a month and you think it's 5 grand a month i'd rather you up it to like 5500 or 6000 100% right because you can build on something like that that way right to alex's point there's flexibility in that so those are steps 2 and 3 for today in our next episode we're going to be going we're going to be discussing income protection that's a bigger episode, so it's going to be one step in that episode, uh, and we'll be utilizing page nine to really show like, what we're talking about in terms of income protection and how you should look at it. We hope this episode was valuable. We hope you being able to look at your entire financial picture on one page and maybe knowing your net worth for the first time is valuable. If it's negative, I want you to like, because every once in a while we have a client and they, they see it's negative and you visibly see their face kind of like they get disappointed, maybe embarrassed. I'm not sure, you know, some mixture of the two, this is the reason to continue with the plan. That should not be the reason to stop the plan.
1: But, and we expect, we expect net worth to be negative, especially If you have a bunch of college debt or recently graduated because you haven't had time to build that number up and because you put a tremendous amount of time, energy, effort, money into building your income, that is a normal and natural thing.
0: So with that being said, Alex, what is our question today? Our question today is what have you
1: learned from building your balance sheet? Were there any ahas? Were there any numbers that jumped off the page at you and went, oh, that needs to change, or wow, that's a really awesome number? Well, we're looking for anything good or bad, or even just what what was an aha moment when you actually looked
0: at your full living balance sheet
1: on one page?
0: So head over to beerandmoney.net, and there's a spot for you to answer that question. There's a contact us spot. Or if you're looking to download, which you should download prior to listening to this, or maybe you're going to download it after listening to it, there's going to be a spot for you to download that PDF, the 10 steps of building out your financial plan for yourself and your family. As always, we hope this episode was valuable for you. And Mr. Collins, go enjoy a beer and cheers.
2: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or quantified financial partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity, please contact a representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850, Portland, Oregon 97201. Phone number 503-221-1226. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives at the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, AR Insurance License, number 15319412. CA Insurance License, number 0K24924. Alexander Collins AR insurance license number 7264699 CA insurance license number 0H24806 Pinpoint number 2023151800 Expiration February 2025